Harpo the Healer. Welcome to the Harping with Harpo 10th podcast, which is the last episode in the current series. It's great that you've taken time out to listen, and this is a supplement to Harpo the Healer on YouTube. These podcasts are about blues harmonica and the genre. However, our discussions often change tack somewhat, sending our conversations down other interesting artistic, thought-provoking avenues which anybody may like may even inspire someone, who knows, to take up this wonderful instrument or listen to new things. RJ's been a student of mine in the past and he's happy to share his thoughts on the podcast. Before we kick off, I'd like to remind you that as well as the free podcasts, Harpo the Healer upload tutorials on the Harpo the Healer YouTube channel and they provide insight into the teaching philosophy. In this 10th episode, we start with a humorous look at the mailbag, letters to the editor, Next, we chat about a Chicago blues player from yesteryear, Kerry Bell. The general discussion follows on the philosophy of learning, which could really be applied to almost anything. I think if you can hang in there and give it a go, it'll open you up perhaps to ways of seeing things you hadn't thought of before. Well, it certainly did for the two of us anyway, as we explored the subject. The podcasts are free, and if you feel that it was any way beneficial, you can go to Harpo the Healer YouTube, has a link on there for you to help and support the channel and help drive us forward maybe to run a second series. They are all long distance recordings using internet technology. We hit the ground running with the mailbag. Hey, RJ, how's it going today? How are you? I'm fine, thanks, Harpo. How are you doing? Yeah, excellent. Right, podcast 10. God, it doesn't seem two minutes since we started on, on the first one. Letters to the editor. Can you kick us off with one of the... Uh, great letters that we keep receiving yeah sure yeah well this one's an interesting one it came through and it's just signed confused this one <laughs> <laughs> so anyway he's just wants our opinion on this uh, piece of information he uh, letter he's provided he said he's working with some people and they've said to him look look at this bit of music for us and see how you can kind of work with it for your harmonica playing um, and it says on the instructions on the bit of char the chart, it says for any instrument or combination of instruments. And it was a piece of music written back in 1952. I was thinking, oh, that would be interesting. It must be some Chicago blues thing. Yes. But no, it's, it's called Silence, 4 minutes 33. He's saying, how, how can <laughs> okay. I work with this one? Yeah, how can I work with this one? Interesting question, Mr. Confused. <laughs> <laughs> um it's it's i think they're trying i think generally you know you can think outside the box i think maybe that's what they're trying to say start right. thinking outside it's, it's a very underdetermined piece of music i would say in that yeah. you've got to think and look for meaning outside this piece of music yeah, using using your mind isn't it a, a word that we'll come back to later subjectively yeah, so i thought that was quite a pertinent letter from someone just to sort of ask us how, do, how does he work with this? What is it? What's it all about? And uh, we may discuss this in a bit more detail later. But uh, uh, yeah, all I would say is just, you know, really think about how, you know, the, any sound can become some music. Any note could be a music, a musical note. And, you know, just work with it. Think about it and then come back into some other pieces that they may want you to work with. That's mm. what I would say. <laughs> yes, well, I've got a letter here. That's excellent. Yeah from uh, Mr. Arthur J. Wainwright. He's been watching uh, my YouTube videos on playing blues harmonica, Harpo the Healer, and following the advice of many, but he fo he's following it literally to the letter. 
and he never seems to get past first base and taking everything as is right. What am I doing wrong? Well, firstly, Arthur, never take everything you see literally, unless you're 100% sure because it's all subjective. Now, let me give you an example. I had some elderly relatives now deceased. They took everything literally and they were very religious people. And they, they used to hop two miles to church every Sunday and two miles back. And uh, because they had um, a copy of the Bible, but the only one on planet Earth that had a spelling mistake in it. And uh, in the first letters to Corinthians, Corinthians 13, it's faith, hop, and charity. And they thought that hop was the most important. So they actually used to hop two miles to church on a Sunday, two miles back. And I can tell you, RJ, that you know, when they got into the mid late 70s, the body just can't take that kind of punishment. And mm. uh, they both died en route within a couple of weeks of each other, um, oh, actually hopping to church. Yeah. So <laughs> I guess the moral of that story is never take anything literally. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, true. Very true words spoken there. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. You got another yeah. letter there. Interestingly, another sort of left field type one was somebody was saying to me you know what can you learn we can all learn different ways again possibly pertinent to the uh discussion we might have a bit later and they said have you ever had the experience of playing your instrument uh with nature as it were and right. it's just from their own experience of in being in the garden one day doing a bit of digging and a little robin there whistling away and he's trying to communicate with this robin like playing his instrument and seeing whether the robin will respond and uh, he's saying it's amazing because you hear about these things isn't there a piece of music where someone's playing the cello or something and there's a nightingale that plays along with them after a while mm -hmm. they get a little bit um yes, I, hear, <clears throat> I hear charlie parker phrasing sometimes in birds yeah they they, they play trip they sing triplets and they sing they sing uh, 16, uh, what we call 16th notes, 16-note um, triplet. Yeah. They, they do, you can hear them. You can, you can kind of hear that somehow. You, and, uh, and I think, you know, when you talk about when we discussed learning and listen to everything, I mean, you literally today listen to everything. And you can hear, you. Some, I mean, I must admit, during the lockdown, you hear the birds and things quite a lot, don't you? And you yeah, can suddenly much, walking yeah, along. And you can rather, rather than sounds like, yeah, move that van. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's another one. And the other one I heard that, uh, is it Dave Brubeck? I think oh, they right. talked about him and he could hear rhythms. One of the big things he was good at was listening to rhythms. And apparently one of the ones he did was he um, was listening to some cars going past and he was kind of balancing out different rhythms of the wheels turning, as it were. Yeah, Could have been a bus turning. reacting to his, uh, to his surroundings. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's, don't discount it. And in fact, listen to this stuff. I think that's a really interesting th way yes. of learning and then respond to it. I mean, I've done that, I don't know whether you've done it, digging away in the garden, whistling back to a robin while they're watching out for the worms. It's almost like a, it's a sort of a getting back to nature with it all. And uh, it's, it's an interesting mm. experience. Well, I've got one last one here from uh, a Miss Edwina Ramsbottom. She says, is it important to listen to music in different ways and relate to music in different ways and hang out with like-minded people? And she says she's been working through her favourite music, Arnie Wilthorpe's Organ Lift Classics. And she wonders if we'd subscribe to her publication, 
classic hotel elevators from 1922 to 1965 and note her Instagram pages specializing in mid to late 20th century telegraph poles. Um, yes, well, there is a fine line, Edwina, between being hip and cool and being in with the in crowd and hanging out with like-minded people. And there is a, a kind of cut-off point into, into the Anorak Brigade. We have to you have to tread tread carefully, but that's an excellent. Uh, yeah, excellent, I like that. I mean, yeah. there's, there seems to be a journal or periodical for anything and everything these days. We shouldn't discount it. Um, there well, was no, in fact, on... it could be a. I mean, you know, telegraph poles. I mean, you know, I mean, I I heard that somebody had a publication called um, British Roundabouts, apparently, but apparently he was right. the only chap in it. Right. In this particular, I heard of that some years ago, which was quite yeah. interesting. It was the sorry Roundabout Appreciation Society. Yeah. Oh yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Muzak. Yeah. Muzak. That springs to mind. Muzak. You know the idea of Muzak. You're just in that letter. You were sort of saying lift yes. music. Muzak. Interesting concept. Um, maybe it will take off someday. It'll be good. I don't <laughs> yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> So we're going to move on now, RJ, to we're going to talk about um, this blues harmonica player, um, Carrie Bell, who was a Chicago uh, blues player way back when. I think yeah. he was still playing up until the early 2000s. Not sure yeah. when he passed away. Um, but let's talk a little bit about him. Um, what do you think of his playing, RJ, and what, what do you know about him? Yeah, yeah, I quite like Carrie Bell. He's got a good style. Well, I think he can play pretty much any style really can't he he's quite uh, versatile and, and you know an amazing player sense of timing is pretty good mm -hmm. um space and timing he's pretty good with deep vocals he has um but he learned from the greats didn't he he was he learned from the little walters little walter big walter mm -hmm. sunny boy so he could play like i do when i listen to him i do hear a lot of that in him and in fact some of yes, my I favorite tracks is like last night. I think he does a superb version of yeah, last night. Yeah, he sounds like Little Walter on some of that, doesn't he? Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, I don't know whether yeah. he did that. He did do quite a few Little Walter tracks because he knew it so well. And his, I think his early stuff is probably better, like the Carrie Bell's Blues Heart, 1969, as an early LP. Then Last Night is a good one, 1970. You just yeah. get that authentic sound. I mean, the 70s, because he did a bit of did a stint with Muddy Waters and Willie Dixon, yes. um, but not not unfortunately, Muddy Waters was probably not his greatest point in Muddy Waters' career. Because I can imagine if someone gives you a call and says Muddy Waters wants you to play with them, and you're at the different end of your career, aren't you? Yeah, yeah so Muddy, yeah, I get yeah. the impression Muddy Waters was Good at point. a different point. So he was really high up. Carrie Bell was doing everything he needed to do. But Muddy Waters, I think, was struggling. He was being advised to do some psychedelic LPs to do the mm -hmm. Unk in Funk. Unk in Funk. It's a bit of a weird... It's a good album, actually. It's not bad. Yeah. But I the harmonica know. seems to be back yeah. in the mix. And I think... Uh, which I think that's yeah. that's Carrie Bell. Yeah, but I think... You I, I think Carrie Bell is... Um, he, he plays in sort of that acoustic way on the microphone, the way that Junior Wells does it. I know that. And he... He often uses straight chords instead of tongue blocking chords or, or tongue octaves or for people that don't know, it's where you just stick your tongue on the harmonica and you play either side of it to either get a, a impressive chord or, or, ten, or the, the same note an octave higher. And he tends, he does that sometimes, but he doesn't really, sometimes he just does a straight chord. 
and he he, uh, he does use a chromatic uh, harmonica now and again, yeah. Yeah. but he but he does a similar thing to a lot of the blues guys do a very simple technique uh, which you can do in a chromatic fairly easily. Uh, he's not of the standard on that that someone like George Smith is, George Harmonica Smith. No, but no. Um, but the stuff that he does, um, is, I, I like his real bluesy stuff. I'm not keen when if he ever kind of just favours towards a country sort of playing that sometimes right. he, he, he sort of does. But generally, the, the straight on Chicago stuff that he's, he's really into, his phrasing is interesting, but I don't really hear uh, too much invention. As you quite rightly said, I hear the little Walter and big Walter stuff in his playing. And then I hear a general kind of Chicago. He's not like Junior Wells. He doesn't, he doesn't play those little stabs. He plays. The biggest thing I got from Kerry Bell was he sustains at the end of every phrase. He holds a note for ages. Mm-hmm. So no matter mm-hmm. what he does, that little da, 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 dun, da, da, he, hold, he holds this note and he, he, he sustains like a Hammond organ one. He never really chops the note ever. And that was kind of the thing I got. But, but like you, um, I listened to one called a Hard Working Woman. That was quite a bluesy one. Right. Um, and yeah, he's he's good. He's good at what he does. And that's that's what I thought about him. And it it, it times. It's a bit like when I mentioned that country thing. I don't know if you know what I mean, RJ. But when when um, I'm not keen on traditional jazz. I've always been a modern jazz player, so I don't. I'm not into that two in a bar, bum, 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 which is which sometimes blues goes down that avenue, which I'm not too keen on. The only way way I'm keen on that is where there's kind of no bass and it's the gypsy jazz guitars from France playing with violin, with everything running over the top in a bebop fashion. That mm. that doesn't sound like that doesn't sound that sounds more hip to me than when I'm just hearing boom 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 but you, but with with Kerry Belly most of his stuff he does have a walking line or a blues figure that Chicago mm. thing which it gives you the, see the thing is those gypsy jazz guys the French with the guitars playing with the violin over the top even though they're going boom 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 it still gives you the feel of a one two three four five six seven they still feels as if you've got a 12 8 underneath even though it's going boom 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 with the chord on the guitar now it's difficult because a lot of country and, and a lot of traditional jazz hit those two notes in a way that um is quite powerful but it seems to i don't know it, it, it seems to limit the to me it seems to limit the expression i know that's not wrong because lots of people will love it but it's just i guess it's just individual um it's preference, straight. isn't it yeah it's too straight maybe I don't but, know. Uh, yeah probably that yeah but um Certainly he's more urban stuff. And I, I read somewhere that when he first got to Chicago, at times he plays as a bass player. Yeah, that's what I read that as well. And I yeah. read that on Wikipedia, so <laughs> yeah, I've done that before. Because the work was drying up on the harmonica because um, yeah. the guitars were really taking off, apparently. That's what I read. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know if... Um, I, also got, I also got the impression that he his career kind of picked up a bit also like during the 90s. Yes. And in a similar way, what it reminded me a little bit of is remember when John Lee Hooker brought out those albums like The Healer, which is back in the late 80s, early 90s. Again, I think there was that sort of revival of like these old artists that were still alive. And he did one called Deep Down, Deep Down, an album called Deep Down. 
Right. Which is quite a slick album. And I think the thing is, when you and I, we listen to like the Chicago blues, we like the sort of raw, rough mm. kind of edge that that gives it. But, it, yeah. you know, it's the movement, it's the move changing times, isn't it? The sound, the taste changes. And yes. uh, but he became quite successful with that band leader-esque. And you mentioned gig that's on YouTube, which we'll put a link to, which is the live at the International Jazz Festival. Ah, yes, yes, Bern, yes, Switzerland, yes, yes. Which I listened because to, I watched it, that. Because it's got that. Uh, it's that. Yeah. Uh, it's that yeah. lick, isn't it? Yeah. That, and I remember nicking that lick off him and using yeah. the band. Because no, it's, it's, it's a great, that is, it was towards the end of his life, that, wasn't it? Yeah, 2001. He died 2007. Oh, so right. It was around for a bit longer. Yeah. But yeah. I think what I got from that gig more than anything wasn't really the harmonica playing. What I got from it was the fact that, like Junior Wells, when he when he sings something, it, you believe it. You absolutely yeah. believe it. You know, when he goes to the mic and he goes, I went, to whatever he's about to say, you think, why, he's telling this audience this as if it's just happened. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. that's such a skill. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. I, I liked his, uh, his band leading performance. He'd look over the guitarist. And it, and it was and used in a, what brilliant. I call, it was a blues band used in a jazz way. Yeah. So he's using, so he's creating individual solos. Nobody's playing over the top of anybody yeah. else. Everybody drops out one at a time so that it's individual expression. Yeah. And he gives the whole expression to each of his band, including his percussion player, oh, and yeah. as we yeah. call a drama percussion player. But but, yeah. but he, he 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 lets it he lets it evolve in a way. And I I thought that, that is a fantastic uh, session. I've I've watched that loads of times. Yeah, that's no, it's good. It's very good. Very good. We'll, we'll put a link to that because that's on YouTube. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. That is very good. I enjoyed the whole that. Concert on there. I think it is. Yeah, yeah. It's about an hour long. It's all right. It's, but yeah, but, but from Kerry Bell, I think it's like anything. You know, you and I have I've always said on the YouTube videos, it's kind of uh, you'll understand this term from architecture. I recently used this term, and it, it sounds like I'm I'm clever. I'm not clever. I've just looked the word up. <laughs> but just for everybody, I'm not I'm not trying to be uh, sort of big-headed or. But eclectic, eclecticism. Uh huh. You know, I think that's needed. In other words, you know, not looking at a recognised school, but to but draw, draw your ideas from a wide range, you know. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. I think that's important. It's, it's, a def it's definitely of our time. It's one uh, response to the changes that we kind of live through culturally beyond, you know, looking back over other things, picking up different ideas and, and eclectic. It's, it's like you can go, you know, the problem is... You mm. could be in a situation where you could be anti everything if it isn't what you do. You know, if you're into sort of like yes, Chicago blues, do you know what I'm saying? Yes. And we've spoken about this before. How like you've got to be focused, 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 focused. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's brilliant because it, mm. it can always bring you back to where you where your mind is. Mm -hmm. But one of the responses of me, how do you work with it? How do you work around it? How do you, and as we talk about lots of different things, we talk about classical music, jazz music. There's that element of eclecticism where you can listen listen to it and like listen to the birds singing in the trees, listen to the wheels turning in the, on a yeah, street. Yeah. I think that's really good. You then listen to it and you, it helps you inform. It's it's one way. It's definitely a good way of looking at the world. It's it's yeah. Uh, and I think yeah. That also I think by by doing that with that eclecticism by 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 acting that way, it helps you with that other big 
fancy word that you hear people use. I've never heard it been used in the States. A lot of intellectuals use this word in, in, in Britain. I know, I've never used it in conversation in my life, but I hear it on the radio. I've heard it for years. When somebody uses the word serendipitous, yeah, you know, and, and basically, you know, we're talking about um, occupying, you know, discovering something by chance. You might be looking, exactly. you might be learning, learning something you can't get. You're trying to learn this thing. You can't get it. You're working at it for weeks and weeks. You get more or less what the guy's doing. But in doing so, you find another load of things that are as good, if not more beneficial. And you come out with your way of doing it. Exactly, and I think yeah. that's, I think that, that that's kind of. Those two things, those two big words there, serendipitous and the elect, uh, excuse me, eclecticism, yeah. yeah. Putting the two together is kind of, that's kind of it in a nutshell, I think. I think, yeah, exactly. I think it's also the ability to learn when you see something different to understand, like, why you like it and then why you might use it again. Um, and yes. then that really comes down to your own personal expression, possibly you may like doing something and then that becomes your little style, you know, your little signature yes. sort of thing that you can add to things. But yeah, yeah I, think I think it's... No, that's right. I, I, so I think, and basically we, we've come to these uh, sort of discussions through obviously looking at people. I hadn't looked at anything of Kerry Bell for a few years, actually. And, and uh, last night I knew I was going to do this. So there I was trawling through. And I think what's one of the great things now is that everything's readily available. I can remember thinking, oh, Saturday, I think I'll go to the shop and see see what they've got, you know, and looking through the CD collection, I'll get in the latest. Whereas nowadays, everything's there. Mm. You, you, you know, there isn't really an excuse because it, it is there. You can find it. It's just, but, what, but having these conversations, it points you in those different directions, perhaps, to go try something it is, you haven't it's, tried it's before. Some, yeah. Sometimes you think it's overwhelming, really, don't you? The amount of information that's out it there. Can, yeah, because that's kind of the other side, where you, you diversify so much yeah. that you've got just a, a touch of this and a touch of that, and you you you, you, you never sort of... That, that's it's also... Difficult, yeah, and it? it becomes a bit confusing, doesn't it? It comes a bit, you, you lose the focus of what it is you're doing or what you're trying to, your, your actual um, project. That's actually a really good uh, thing to move on to because I just mentioned to the listeners today, we're going we're gonna to talk about the basic kind of philosophy, what we think about um, for playing and learning and, and generally. And hopefully we're not going to go too deep here. We're going to go, we're just going to see where it leads. And what RJ and I have uh, have ideas on. And I think not only can it help me and RJ, I'm sure it can help a lot of the listeners in understanding the learning process. Now, uh, if you look at any of my YouTube stuff, I like drawing comics. And of course, so I'm interested in the human condition. That's something I've been interested in since I was a young teenager. And I had the ability to be able to, um, not literally, but um, think about looking at myself and being able to analyze myself in because what we're going to talk about in the next few minutes we're going to talk about things where in my young life I started out as a musician and then I had a period of life where I put myself in quite a lot of danger I'm not going to say what that is but I had it but if I mention it what happens is people then pigeonhole you into certain areas and of course I was always able to put myself in environments where Although I could live and be with these certain types of people, I had the ability to look outside in and 
similarly being a jazz musician for 30-40 years, I'm not as stereotypical of that because I can still climb out of it and look at the thing from a whole. So, um, so that's kind of why um, it's not always good to sort of stereotypically, you know, RJ, RJ is um, an architect by profession, he's a blues harmonica player, but of course he's not stereotypical architect because every architect isn't talking to me on a uh, morning <laughs> you and I are, are we? So we are both a bit crazy in that sense. We're both eccentric within our own world. So I think that's quite a, a point to sort of start on with this philosophy. So the frame of mind for success, uh, blues harmonica or anything to be successful. So RJ, how important do you believe the mindset is to, to learning and uh, not just playing the harmonica, but kind of learning anything that you really want to get interested in. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, it's an interesting intro to this particular segment of the uh, podcast because these are things that, you know, sometimes you can either be taught things or you, you learn them as you go along. You know, that's life, isn't it? Life is the um, university that you kind of learn as you go along. You know, you get yes. the experiences. It's really important, the experiences that we receive. And sometimes, you know, you sort of say you learn the hard way, don't you? You know, people can tell you to you till they're blue in the face, like don't do this, do that, and you just ignore it until it happens, and then you go, oh, I remember, why do that? Yeah, I suppose again. the only the only time that you're you're not is is when you're first born, and the first time you open your eyes. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. can remember my eldest daughter, God bless her, you know, grown up, good profession and everything, but I remember when she was born, uh, she opened her eyes right at outset, looking at me because I had her in my arms. And she looked. She took one look at me and shut her eyes again. I think the the thing is, what, you know, when you go to college and you sort of study, one of the things I think they're trying to do when they you, you start studying something in detail is sometimes reset your brain. You know, you might have spent the best part of the 10, 15 years at the sort of schooling. And they're telling you how to do things and they're getting you ready for the big wide world. And then you go into some sort of university setting to learn something in a bit more detail. Yes. And I think what they're trying to do, they're trying to break your conceptions, your perceptions of what you've been taught, what you've been told before. And then to try and go, right, now this is really what it's all about. You know? And I think you said that before, isn't it? You, you learn your scales, you do all this, like Charlie Parker would have said in the past, and then <clears> then forget it all, <laughs> forget all the rules, I know. just yeah. get out there and do it. I think, Dan, we've talked about this before, and there was a couple of little anecdotes I was going to sort of say in terms of teaching, which is a really strange thing, until someone tells you it, and you hear it, and you listen to it, and you think, well, what's that all about? There's a couple of little funny stories. I've heard Davey Graham, a chap called Davey Graham, he's a fantastic guitarist, I've mm. played guitar, and I've listened to him, he's brilliant. Um, sort of 60s, 70s type guy. And you could, you, in the past, you could go and get lessons from him. And he, he'd sit you in the room and he'd put a Ravi Shankar LP on. And he'd have Ravi Shankar going through the old sitar, doing all the raggers and things. And then just, just leave you to it. And like he'd walk off for 20 minutes, go make a cup of tea. And he'd come back. And you sit in there thinking, not, not, this is something I haven't, I haven't personally experienced, but this is what other people sort of say. In some ways, he's kind of trying to say to you, like, think outside the box. Think, you know, this is this is just somebody playing really wild, kind of intricate, micro-scaled scales. Mm -hmm. Just think about it. And another one, another a little um, 
anecdote is I don't know, do you know Leonard Cohen as yeah. a Leonard Cohen's sort of six, yeah around seven, the same time as Dylan yeah yeah Dylan it's one of his songs called Teachers right it's a really strange little song it's kind of interesting but one of the one of the little lyrics in it one of the lyrics in it is this is I met a man who lost his mind in some lost place I had to find and then he says follow me the wise man said but he walked behind. So he's mm. kind of like asking you to follow him, but he's walking behind you. I think when you start thinking about these things, he, he could, as a teacher, you could teach someone the basics of something, but then he's trying to say to you, right, there you go, you go yeah, and do I think, what you need I think to that's, do. I think that's a very, very good point. And you know, and I think, you know, when, you, when you're learning music or anything, I think there's two things, uh, incremental mind, in other words, you want to make something better. So you, mm-hmm. you, you, you learn something and then you're trying to get it better. And then the exponential mindset, and that's when you're trying to make something different. Mm. So you've got two things going on. You're working at something each day and trying to mould it and get it better. Mm. But then you're also trying to do something different. Yeah, so you've yeah got, exactly. It's yeah. kind of two, two, two avenues yeah. that you're battling. You're kind of battling with these, um, with these two. Now, I think I've mentioned this before, and just about every YouTube video I ever do, RJ, as you know, I always keep saying oh, everything's subjective, you know, because the world, it's a chaotic mass of contradictions. Now, that's not something I've just come to. When I was in the Far East, again, people will pigeonhole you, but, um, um, and they'll think, oh, he's been doing this for the last 40 years. Well, I do practice as a practitioner every day of my life, but I, I have was with monks for a while in in the far east and they talked about the world and contradictions and things like that so so it's not something i've just come to now but the world's a chaotic mass of contradictions not because it's complicated but because we're observing the world complete now nobody lives in an objective world all right okay so to all the students we say on youtube everyone everyone's everyone i always say everyone sees things differently we all see it differently so for example, do you know the story of the well? I've ever told you the story of the well, RJ. No, I don't think you have. No. Well, it's a, it's a story. It's a philosopher's story, but um, I'll, I'll tell it in the in the view that I had some friends in Norway. They used to have a house in Buskerud, which is above Telemark. You remember Telemark, the heavy water, Kirk Douglas film, all that, you know, blowing mm. up in World War Two. Oh, I might have done. Yeah, tele, yeah. Telemark. Uh, well, the next county over is called Buskerud, and they, they had a, a house. It was all arable farmland. There's a big agricultural college there. It's great in the summer because they all go off for the summer. And it's just beautiful, you know, fantastic place to go. They had a well in the garden, a little well where you can draw water. Now, this is the analogy I'm taking. Imagine that it's boiling hot summer and you're going to draw some well water. And it's at 18 degrees, 18 degrees C. So when you take a sip of it, it's cool. Now, Let's move forward, and it's now February, March. The well water is still 18 degrees C. You draw some water out, and as you take a sip of it, immediately, uh, it's still constant, 18 degrees C, but to you, it tastes warm. So what would you suggest was going on there, RJ? Any ideas? Well, it's all relative. Yeah, it's all relative, isn't it? Relativism of it, I guess. I I, I guess so, but it's... but it, it, the thing is, it's not an illusion caused by a change in the environment. And mm. that moment in the summer, it's a fact to you that it's cooler. So that is an example of what it means to be in a subjective world. 
Yeah. Everything yeah. is subjective. In other words, you're in an environment. You can't change certain things, but yeah. you can change yourself. So that's mm -hmm. kind of a case in point of this this uh, this business of um, you should you know delusions of grandeur and all this. You see it with musicians and all that. Well, yeah. when I was about, I must have been about twenty then. I think I found myself in Canada at the Calgary Stampede. You know, the big rodeo. All right. the real cowboys from America, Canada, they're all there, all there. Uh -huh. And I was with some British guys, and uh, I don't think we were some Canadians at the, at the time. They were obviously all the Canadians there, but friends. And there was a few of us, and like all these things, everywhere I've gone in the world, I go to these events, we all end up getting separated, and you're all left to kind of your own devices until you meet up again. Anyway, this um, this Scottish guy, um, he was, it reminds me of, Ives, the guy in The Great Escape, the little Scotch guy, he looked just like him, just oh, like yeah. him. Yeah. And um, he, he had a few drinks of beer, and there was a mechanical bull in a corral, one of these electronic things, uh -huh. and, he, and he was wearing a huge yellow foam Stetson hat. He was taking the mickey out of the, the real cowboys that were there, and he was drawing quite a crowd, because he came over to me and says, would you hold my beer? He says, I'm going to have a go on this mechanical bull here. Now, he must have been nine stone wet through. He didn't weigh anything, this guy. So he drew quite a crowd around this corral, and they had, like, foam mattressing or something to break the fall. And he said, what, what, how many speeds have you got on this mechanical bull? And the guy gave him a wry smile, and he said something like nine or eight, something ridiculous. And he said, oh, put it on the, the highest speed you've got. And, there's quite a crowd now of these real rodeo tough guys, you know, they're all around this rodeo. And he holds, up, holds on with one hand. He's got this huge yellow Stetson on. And this guy smiles, presses the button. It rocks up to the back. It goes left and right. And then it flicks forward. And he took off from this mechanical bull. He left the corral. And he ended up in a heap. In the, in the I think some of these cowboys broke his fall a bit, but... We caught up with him in the equivalent of the St. John's ambulance tent where he was being treated <laughs> for mild concussion. And they kept yeah. him, I think they kept him overnight. And he had a huge headache for several days. But the moral of the story there was this, this, this delusions of grandeur of if, if you're watching, if you're seeing something for long enough, as you're watching these, these great rodeo guys, you think, that doesn't look too bad. Because his idea was that if I can stay on this mechanical bull thing here... Then they're going to let me enter, enter the ring on one of these these bulls. That was his 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 that was his mindset. Yeah, <laughs> but his mindset was um, was way way because um, because you know it's that it's that old thing of um, you don't rise to the level of your expectations. Rather, human beings fall to the level of their training. Yeah, and he had yeah. absolutely none. <laughs> no. Well, exactly, exactly. I mean, I think that... That he's, he's absolutely half killed himself believing in his head. Well, it's like looking at a guy playing a musical instrument. Oh, that's no problem. I'll get one of those, and in no time at all, I'll be doing that. We used oh, yeah. to get it with saxophone players all the time. They didn't realize that as a saxophone player at the, at the front, we're as likely to be able to sit down at the piano and show what chordal movement or sit on a set of drums or pick up a bass. We, we have knowledge. We, we, we're not just at the front. Mm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You have to, there's a whole, 
avenue going on and it oh it, yeah you know i think that's the, that's the that's key. very it's, it's purpose perfect it's you know i mean obviously within anybody's skill set or mastery of any craft you know yeah. you see the end product but what you don't realize what you probably do realize but you didn't you, you can like don't want to think it or believe it is that there's probably been 30 years of mastering <laughs> that you know <laughs> so when you buy when you go to an art gallery and you buy like a, a blank <coughs> canvas yeah. someone's painted just one color <laughs> you know you, you you're not just buying that piece of work you're buying what they've learned over the last 30 years you know it's yeah. and that's the value the value and if you understand it you can um you appreciate it, but if you don't understand it, that's where it gets difficult. And obviously, the, you know, in teaching, I think that's what people are trying to convey because, you know, we're all experts at everything, aren't we? When we see, watch things on TV, you know, we, we all think we can do all this stuff, but actually it's never really as easy as it always looks, is it? Well, that, that is to a point. That's an interesting point because <clears throat> my point is you can't escape from your own subjectivity you can't you can't escape mm. it you can you can change yourself but there's no excuses so it's not the issue of the instrument okay mm. or the world or the music it's yourself so my philosophy here is you can see it everyone has feelings of inferior being in, inferior ever yeah. since being a small child it's how you deal with it now you know the word subjectivity it that's significant because it allows you to make your own choice so you know you, you might have two three three people in a family dysfunctional family one becomes a mass murderer the other two don't mm. they're in exactly the same environment so they still have choice because yeah two that, don't, that, that, because exactly two don't and one do now i know freud's idea on this he he doesn't this is completely against freud but i i look at it that you know if you want to if you you can change yourself so you can say right i'm gonna i'm gonna learn a musical instrument and the mindset can be you, you can control this mindset or you can you can you can go another way but you can make your own choice if you if you're aware that everything's subjective and so that means you're subjective so that means you, it allows you to make your own choices but you can't you obviously can't change a, um, an objective fact so that if you're if you've got this huge great big diamond um, and it's got massive monetary value but you're on a remote desert island sitting in a cave with this thing then in your head it's just a stone hmm. so it, it so your mind your mind is seeing something it, it you know it's a, I, I think just, you know exactly yeah i do agree with you i think the making choices making decisions whether they're good ones or bad ones is really you know could potentially be like an existential position to take as you sort of say, you could be in a family of three people. One turns out to be a murderer with a completely similar exactly upbringing. The same, yeah. But they've made that decision by themselves. That's their choice. What they, you, what um, Jean Paul yeah, Sartre would say, bad exactly. faith, bad faith. But that's where your value judgment comes in. I think what you then have to sort of start thinking about is where do you position yourself? You know, where, what do you believe in? What, you, what do you not believe in? And if you're there to make those decisions yourself, uh, you, you have to pay the consequences. So obviously if you murder someone, you, you'll end up going into prison <laughs> if, if it's obviously found out to be that's the case. But that's a value judgment we all have to make as well. So obviously having the first, the bad faith bit where you make those decisions yourself because 
is, is based on the fact that whether you um, agree with certain ideas about judgment, which is relative. You know, you, some people could sort of say, uh, this is good. Some people could say, this is bad. Who's to say what's better? That's, that's, that's subjective. Right. It's, it's subjective. Yeah. Why, why doesn't you, this work for everybody? Why doesn't it say, well, I can just change and, and you know, and I can, I'm going to learn this instrument. I'm going to do this. Why does it not work for everybody? Well, hmm. because they want to change, but it's kind of excuses because it requires realistic effort to change and there's going to be some sacrifice. It's inevitable. You're going to have a realistic effort and change and there's going to be some sacrifice. So it's going to the crossroads. It's, mm. That's in, in blues, like the blues film. It's going to the crossroads. You have to make that decision. You know, um, Wes Montgomery, the great jazz player, worked in a factory for God knows how many years, but he put as many hours every night into what he was doing in the factory. He, he, oh, you know, you mm. come about, I've known quite a few motorcycle racers in my time who were doing that and uh, putting burning candle at both ends, but they they had to, but they made they made that that commitment. Um, Absolutely, yeah. I think it's you're right, and it's like a lot of these guys we talk about these Chicago blues guys. You know, they ended up going to Chicago. Why Chicago was the place to be to meet? You know, there's always a conscious that once there's a once there is some sort of focal point. It's like the abstract expressionists. They're all in New York. Yes. Why did they meet there? Who knows? There's lots of reasons why they all met yeah, there. Why there. The Chicago Blues guys, why Chicago? You know, but they all well, congregate together. Basically, we know it's the industry that, that, that There's the industry there, yeah. and coming up from the south, it seemed to be a good place. But yeah, if you want to get into Chicago Blues back in the 50s, you know, get to get yourself to Chicago. You're not going to go to uh, some other part of the world knowing that Chicago. So that's a decision, isn't it? That's a, That could be a subjective decision. And we will make those decisions. But, yeah, I think you're right. Um, it's it's, it's the, this, this inferior thing. It's kind of, you could look at it as sort of, a, it's like of a coping mechanism. You know, like if a child is nurtured adequately. Yeah. And, and the child will take on aspects. And if it's inferior to overcome it, it can learn that by hard work and working at a skill. You know, like for some, some person who's got tragedy in their life, a parent dies, they're a teenager. Yeah. So suddenly they've got tragedy. It's not so good. But then two or three years later, for example, and this is just a general example. It could happen about yeah. anything. Yeah. Suddenly the parent remarries. So now that sibling is, is there's another tragedy going on. It's, it's probably great for all of them, but there's still a real huge psychological. Now you've got, there's ways to deal with that. One coping mechanism can be to dig into a skill and, mm. and, and basically it's a way of coping. Now, if, if, if they don't do that into this craft and, and, lear, and learn to become imperfect, they, you have to learn to become imperfect. If you don't learn to become imperfect, then what happens is you develop an inferiority complex. Mm. And then if you're getting to that stage, then you've got a problem on your hands because now you've got a lack of self-esteem. You're not going to be able to rectify the feelings of inferiority. And uh, it goes on with irrational decisions. So... I, I find that that's coming back to this learning process. We should. I'm I'm constantly learning and picking up new things to learn as well as music all the time. I don't just take music. I do all these things because I'm aware that by doing this purposeful thing, then the superficial things in life don't have as much meaning. They don't. They don't have to have that meaning because I've got purpose in another way. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah. I think you know you're tapping into as you just mentioned previously. 
you're tapping into some of the biggest ideas that changed the 20th century with particularly Freud. And I think what a lot of people end up doing is they end up doing therapy. It's a sort of form of therapy because what you're tapping into is your unconscious. And it could mm. be that you're manifesting your unconscious mind, your unconscious side, based on some of these events that have happened earlier on that you're yeah. not really aware of. And See, the, problem, the, problem with you. Freud, the problem with Freud is that mm. he, he was all about cause and effect. And he, mm. and he was always going into the sexual thing and going into, oh. it's because of the environment. It's an excuse. He's like that. He or she is like that because of his environment. Yeah. Whereas I've read enough philosophy, modern philosophy. I've read a lot of things where I'm thinking, no, I don't buy that. I don't buy that. I go the other way. Uh. I go this other way of inferiority and the fact uh. that we still have choices within that environment. They, st they still, yeah. you know, there's a you know they're still in they're in that environment they still have a choice uh, uh, to make they, uh, and and that um, and so and, and it's completely subjective and, and so it's how the individual comes to it and as I say if 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 the person's nurtured the right way they will Absolutely. find a purpose or they they need to find a purpose. Well, I think what you I think what you're getting at and I think one of the things that I find interesting is within the realms of philosophy and thinking is this idea that you're finding yourself yes um and it's this what you're then talking about is you're the channeling your creative energy into something you channel the creative energy into something really but that means a lot to you and mm. through that you can become authentic you can kind of create an authenticity behind you you say well, this is me this is what i want to do and then through that, you can find yourself. And what they talk about there is about a sort of a consciousness, a self, a self-consciousness or some kind of consciousness, which can lead to a truth or some sort of element of being really happy. So I think that's the progress that you would go through, whether you come to it through a bit of analysis, a bit of psychotherapy, or whether you come to it through or deny that. But I think in terms of expression, in terms of art, I'm only talking about in terms of, we're only talking about art here, aren't we? Really? Yes. Creativity. Yeah, the arts in general. We're not yes. talking, we're not talking about politics or anything like no, that we're this. just trying to exactly. apply these things in a creative way now you might say when you look at some art uh, you might say god that's bonkers what where was their head when they when they did that like some abstract art <laughs> <or whatever>. yeah. <laughs> yeah. but you know this is what it's all about it's the expressions the self-expression where does that self-expression come from whether it's Freud or whether you sort of think of it from different ideas uh, existentialism Sartre Nietzsche or whether you think of it from uh, postmodern ideas there's lots of things like that uh, you know it's interesting it's, I, I find those things really helpful informative in the learning process because I think when when you as a teacher say to somebody look you want to do blues harmonica for instance right here's the minor pentatonic here's the blues scale here's the one four five of the blues here's something you know it's basic you know it's, it's so basic you would say to me what more do you need to know? And hence, when Leonard Cohen writes this song about his teacher, he says, look, right now, follow me. And he stands behind you. Yeah. He's saying, you've got all the information. It's yeah. there. Now you I, yeah. play it. You've hit you the nail on it. the head there. When, when somebody enters jazz college or mm. somebody's serious, when I was serious about playing music, yeah. when you used to go to the old boys for lessons, you know, they don't waste their energy motivating the person no. who's come to them. No. When you when you end when you enter architectural college, university, you know, 
their job is not to motivate. The intrinsic motivation has already been done at ALEC. It's all been done now. You're yeah. here. So yeah. they're not going to bother with that. They're just going to assume that you've mm. already got that motivation. Mm. In fact, they'll look at you strangely if you're sat there in one of your lecture classes, if, if you're not interested. Because they'll be yeah. thinking, well, why are you here then? Yeah, exactly. exactly. But, but I'm not going to waste my energy. As you see, sometimes people, there's no point motivating because... The, that motivation's all that's already taken place. It's like it's like when you're at school, your teacher's always telling you how your homework and <laughs> it may be a subject you don't want to do. Don't like, yeah. You don't exactly. like so that's that's half the battle. But when you're out, when you've gone beyond that, you're going into higher education, you're learning something because you want to, you've got a passion, you love it. There's no longer that there's no longer that yeah. that encouragement because yeah. they're they're just hoping that you you'll come on to them, to the lectures all the time. They but they won't they deliberately won't help you. And no. you've heard people saying all the time, oh, that lecture is rubbish, he's rubbish. Never does anything. But they realize they're wanting you to come to them mm. they're, 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 because they're now treating you as an adult. Now, you know, this is, yeah. they're backing off. They're backing off deliberately. And as you yeah. quite rightly say, here's this scale, here's that scale. I did a, a YouTube video recently where I put two blue scales together. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one in fifth position, and nobody else has done that on the net. They do yeah, relative, was, minor, major. They do all I that. I saw that. Everybody does good. that. We'll, we'll yeah, the reason that. I do it, yeah. the reason I've done it is because I'm saying, okay, those are the two. You, you play around with those two blue scales. All you do, and a good coach will watch you play around with just those two blue scales. The object of the exercise is to get you hearing notation, hearing but rather than doing ear training, which is boring and, and phrasing and boringness, you've got these two scales now. So now you can do an awful lot of things with just that over a second position blues, yeah. not yeah. going anywhere else. Mm. You've got loads of things you can do, yeah. but they're just notes. Yeah. So as you quite rightly said, there's kind of, but I'm deliberately putting those two together, not the relative mind, I'm not going there. I'm just giving a very simple thing, and yeah. I'm saying, now look, you can have a lot of fun here with just yeah. this. Exactly, yeah. A lot of fun, and but you, but the more you play around with it, then suddenly, like, um, oh, you know, you're playing uh, G on a C harp, so you, you've got a G, a G blues scale basically, but suddenly you're dropping on that two blow and five blow, you're dropping onto the sixth of the scale. And at first, it sounds like another no, but after a while, oh, it sounds like just a slight different sound. Mm, and you mm. get, but you discover by playing around with those two things without looking in books and just play with those two scales and put, put them together. Mm. And they're mm. almost in the same, almost. There's three notes that are different. Mm. And it's, it's a very simple technique, but it's how people react to it. Some people want to be fed the answer and and, and uh, we see that on the tube all the time but that's why few people get to the top of the pile because they're not it's like um, drawing when you're drawing you know i draw from blocks so so if you want to draw heads in different positions you in comic art you learn to memorize so you you have to memorize hands drawing drawing in space draw so you draw off blocks or cylinders and cubes yeah, so because, that's, yeah. The only, because it's the only way the brain's going to remember how to draw uh, Simplify, people. Yeah. Um, so, exactly, so yeah. then you can, and there's there's ways to do it, mm. um, and so it's like remembering jokes, and so it's just that that's so that to me is 
just as I said in that video, it's it's, it's just a simple thing. Mm. But it, I'm 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 not saying run this scale up and down. Just saying go and play with it. There's the tool now. Go play, and as a coach, you say when they come back and say, right, what have you come up with? And then they come back and have a listen and say, oh, that's good. Well, what do you think about that? That's not so good. Go away and play with it again, and then they come back to you. And each time, they're learning on the job, yeah. kind of thing. Exactly. And, and then and six months you... later, they've had six months lessons with you, and they say, God, I've only been playing two scales. Yeah, but look where you are now. Mm, mm, and then mm. you play what they did six months ago, and they go, oh yeah, that yeah. sounds good. Am I mm. using these two scales? And I'm mm. saying, yeah, so it's actually complex and simple mm. all at the same time. Exactly, yeah, that, 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 that's always the case, isn't it? The simple, the more simple the idea is, the better it is to start with, absolutely to start. Um, but the, the thing, ultimately, what you're thinking about when is, is, is you've got to hold, what I find when you're doing any of this stuff, is you've got to hold lots of these ideas in your head at one time to then inform your playing from these simple um, scales and ideas. Yeah, one of the one of the bad one of the bad techniques. I shouldn't say this because you should always give positive intent. You shouldn't point it. But one thing. Sorry, you shouldn't really coach. But we're not coaching. We're just having a discussion. Yeah. Yeah, because what you, um, with some people is they they learn certain phrases and then they play it back to you. Now the idea of giving giving two scales, then then you go away and you listen to phrasing and all the rest of it. But what you try not to do is try not to nail down things in a too systematic way. Because what happens is you regurgitate these things, but then you you don't. It's coming back to that that um, what was that posh word we were using? Uh, the serendipity. The, the serendipity. Yeah. Yeah. That that way of coming up and finding your own things. You've got to you've got to explore outside the box. You've got well, to that's practice, it, cause you've practice doing said... that. All the time, yeah. Yeah, and, and obviously you sort of said when you're playing at that given moment, you're not thinking of anything. But at the same time, I think you're, what we're ah, talking right. about, your unconsciousness should Absolutely. have absorbed your you unconscious. Yes. Yeah, that's what I said before. The unconscious has absorbed it, but you, you're not realising you're doing it. Yeah, and so what you're playing is, it. you might learn a phrase. Mm. And when you're playing a solo for me, you're mm. saying to yourself, I'm going to put this phrase in. Yeah. At some point, I'm going to put that phrase in. Well, what you should do is learn the phrase really well, let your mind go blank, and don't look for it. So when you're playing in front of me, don't look for that phrase. Mm. Now, in another tune, or six or seven tunes later, you might use that You might use that phrase, and it'll drop into your head. But what you mustn't do is be playing a piece of music saying, next chorus, I'm going to drop that bit in. Next chorus, I'm going to drop that bit in. Yeah, yeah. Because you don't want that, because what will happen is, but then you, you always be contriving things. Mm. You you, you kind of look. You need to learn things really well, and then just kind of shelve it mm. at that mm-hmm. point. Because what happens is you play three blues tunes in a in a, in a row with similar rhythms, and you'll start repeating yourself. And that that can be if the band it could be quite. You've got to try not to. Re- when I say repeat yourself, you'll be repeating yourself all the time. But you'll be weighting the notes in a slightly different way. I yeah, think. yeah, yeah. I mean, you've got to be in control, I guess, when you're playing. You obviously want to feel, you don't want to be playing notes that you don't want to be playing, but you want to play the notes that you do. You want to have an intent. You want to be intending yes. to do something. But yeah. And that's where learning, say, particular scales, you'll know those are the palettes, the, the palettes, as it were, that you'll be working, drawing from all the time. Yeah. So as you're playing, they'll be you'll be hearing a note and going acting off of that note. I would have thought. 
yes. and then that will lead you to somewhere else. But within that palette, within that uh, framework of minor pentatonic blues scale, yeah, a bit of fifth position, if as it were, from your previous video. Um, but you know that that's what you would hope will happen naturally, and then you know. Who's to say? Who's to say? It's it's this the theory. That's the theory. Isn't yeah. It? Well, well, as I say, so we so basically uh, to just to kind of wrap up this bit on on philosophy. My view is that you, if you get your mindset um, right with you, with the learning process, I mean, like blues harmonica is a really good way to be able to express yourself from within uh, mm. really really well fairly mm. early on once you can get a couple of bends together and a few little bits and pieces uh, you can you can uh, uh, you can feel that way of creating expression fairly quickly without yeah. having to spend beca because it's kind of like the saxophone a bit of an extension of the body so mm. you can get to feel that emotion quite quickly where mm. on some instruments it might take a while because mm. you're making the sound fairly easily and and it might take much longer before you're getting to that 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 point, you know. Um, and I think that's that's so you know. So for everybody out there who's not playing a blues harmonica, should now just run out and uh, run out and get one. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And to come full circle, um, yeah, Harpo, there's a famous philosopher. One of his little phrases was, "Whereof we can cannot speak thereof." Uh, we must remain silent. Ah, and I think that who, who I think, said that? Uh, that was Wittgenstein. Oh, not the chip shop owner, the other one. Yeah. No, no, not that one. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it taps into that first letter we had from confused. Yes. But also, it taps into your man, who is the the rodeo guy, who thought he yes. could do it, and he he flies off. <laughs> he had no experience of rodeo, but the thing is, we can speak of this, even though. We may not be proficient like Little Walter or anything like that, but we do have some knowledge of it. And I think that's the whole point. You've got to have some knowledge of it to be able to speak of it. If you haven't, I think you just got to, as the, as the man said, you have to remain silent, really. is always the best way. It's yeah, a good point. And I think um, just to wrap up uh, our pod today, um, have, you, have, you got a, have you got any... Um, well, that was my... That, that, was your, that was your word of wisdom. That well, was my word, I was, I've already said it, actually. That we all we all don't rise to the level of our expectations, but rather we fall to the level of our training. Yeah, yeah. I, okay, we're about Fantastic. to do it, RJ. Um, that was an interesting one. Yeah, and um, you, yeah. We'll, we'll be on and doing different things and great stuff. So take care. We'll see you next okay. time. Okay. Okay. Speak soon. Cheers. Bye. Then. Thanks. Bye. Well, my thanks to RJ for his great contributions to this last podcast in the current series and also throughout all other episodes. Time, this man-made mechanism we use on planet Earth, is precious. And I really appreciate RJ finding some space to help create something I believe of much value. If you listen to all the pods, you'll see we have some great fun making them. And so as we close this series, for a change, I'll blow out on a full track. It's called Coming Home Baby. You can see me do this on YouTube channel, explaining all. Done in one quick take and in my head just simply imagine coming home after a long time away and you're finally home. You're reacting in the moment, individual expression. Well, hope you enjoy it. Keep safe out there. Stay hip, stay cool, get harping.
on, baby.